This is a spoiler warning. We are going to spoil the episodes discussed in the show. It's also a free-flowing discussion. We're going to spoil pretty much most of the show aired to date. Uh, we'll do our best not to spoil any of the big finish range other than the episode that's discussed, but you are warned. Problem is, Perry, we are faced with a conundrum wrapped up in a dilemma. Hello and welcome to The Twin Dilemma, a Doctor Who fan podcast. In each episode, we watch one new Who and one classic and tell you indisputably, undoubtedly, undeniably, which is best. Those are the twins, that's the dilemma, and I'm your co-host, Edward Grove, first time on the show. Is that true? Excited to be here. <laughs> well, we, uh, we're really excited to have you, Edward. Um, are, are you a person who's not introducing themselves? <laughs> uh, I, am, I am Fenric Lamar, uh, your usual host. Well, today's theme is mourning the death of Fenric Lamar. So it's going to be your last time here on the show. I'm sorry to sorry to say. Are you going to say a nice eulogy for me? Well, you know, it's a time travel show, so we're getting the mourning out of the way. Right. Uh, then this is this is really admirable. Then we fuck you. <laughs> then you die. It's crazy. Is is the death directly caused by the fucking? Hey, because that's kind of how you made it sound. Only time will tell. But no, really, uh, we're talking about episodes of Doctor Who where that happens. <laughs> Specifically the dying, maybe not all the rest of it. It's, it's episodes dealing with uh, people being all fucking emo and shit. Am I right? They're all super sad. Yeah. They're so sad. It's about the, the grim wake of death. <laughs> so buckle up for fun. And we'll start it off with our classic episode this week, Earthshock. Now I'll never know if I was right. Do you love Cybermen? Do you hate dinosaurs? Do you hate Adric even more? If you answered yes to all these questions, then boy, do I have the story for you. It's an epic written by Eric Sayward, in which one of the Doctor's greatest foes have returned, this time with a seemingly unstoppable plot to destroy the Earth. All right, so Fenric Lamar, what do you think of Earthshock? You know, we're coming right out of the gate with spoilers for this one, <laughs> but... uh, We've got a tag. There, It's fine. Yeah. If you, I hope you're not, like, right in the middle of, like, Adric 5 stories. <laughs> you're like, wait, what yeah. happens? Also, how many decades old is this story at this point? Uh, it's only three, right? Also, isn't this, like, the, the almost the thing you could say classic is known for? <laughs> Let alone that. Killing Adric. <laughs> it's up there. If you it's, were to make like a short list of like the major events that people like reference glibly and about classic, Adric's death is going to be like top 10. Yeah, it's going to be up there. And uh, I, you know, I'm glad that it's not a, a shitty episode that it happens in. It's kind of amazing because, you know, Adric in general, bumpy period, and the, the fifth doctor had his ups and downs. But I feel like they really bring it all together. This is a really good story. So the Cybermen are the bad guys of this story. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm willing to say that the, the first part cliffhanger, the reveal that the Cybermen are involved, is the best enemy reveal possibly in all of Doctor Who, at least in classic. I would say it's got some competition against other Cybermen stories, but uh, it might be the best one. Yeah, it's really good. 
destroy them. Destroy them at once. Yeah, what what it what it has that other Cybermen ones don't is that it it doesn't lean into it at all. Yeah, and the, they give you a different antagonist to think, oh, this is the new antagonist. Which, to be fair, uh, I I feel weird about Cybermen using androids. Like, yeah, that's, also that's looking weird. at them in retrospect, it's like okay, those are just shitty, you know, low gimp cost suits. Cybermen, <laughs> cyber gimps. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they were the they were like the the Cybermen's fuck puppets. Yeah, there you go. We keep them in the cave so they remain moist. Ooh, juicy men. <laughs> the juicy men. You know, I I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. This is the first story we've talked about that are like this era of Cybermen. Yes, I think that's correct. This would be one of my least favorite periods for Cybermen in some ways. Uh, for like a classic, it's not really fair to them, but like. I kind of think this is when classic started to make some of the same mistakes that New Who made in terms of like they're a bit too Dalek-like or a bit too much like every other conquering alien race rather than reflecting the horrors of humanity. Yeah, I, I'm sort of the same way. Also, like the the cyber leader or whatever you would call him. Yeah, he's just he's got a bit too much personality. Is he like a what's it? It's a he's like a cyber commander and cyber lieutenant. Is that their actual accredited? Uh title it's cyber leader and cyber lieutenant yeah oh wait no cyber leader cyber fuck boy and the the their cyber fuck puppets like no, is, the, it, is everything cyber fuck something the, the juicy men <laughs> the juicy men i also i just don't like the the siren's voice we must act quickly prepare to activate the device it's too soon leader we must be prepared I actually had down to ask you, what do you think of the Cyberman voice? Because this is my least favorite classic Cyberman voice. Yeah, it's it's too booming. It's not cybery. It's it's like the, they 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 went the wrong direction with Cybermen. Is it? They're sort of like an invading force, and that's not really what the Cybermen are. To be fair to them, New Who makes it much worse. Yes, uh, they go a little bit off the deep end. Yeah, but yeah, this is and there there's even uh, there's a bit of dialogue later. We can kind of feel the show struggling with this. Should any of the crew attempt to interfere with navigational equipment, they are to be restrained. Why don't you kill us now? I want my guards to observe your reactions. That's sadistic. And he really is being sadistic. They have this line where he's like, no, we are, you know, somehow not doing that by being <laughs> emotionless. But the way he's acting, he's really, it's sort of antithetical to what you think of when you think of a Cyberman, which is an emotional blank. Yeah. They feel vindictive. They're like, keep the doctor alive so he witnesses the end. They nailed the reveal that Cybermen are in this episode and then shit the bed with the actual Cybermen being in this episode. Yes, although, you know, that makes it sound like 75% of the story is bad, when in reality, it's like a thrilling adventure ride that's like jumping around between a bunch of different conflicts that are all really compelling. Yeah, right off the bat, you're sort of thrown into this like, a uh, weird organization that's uh, investigating these caves, and the caves are super creepy. So that's so worth talking about, right? Because how many fucking Doctor Who stories would that just be shitsville? <laughs> it would look like shit, the characters would suck, the acting would be bad, but it's like a compelling generic space world. I, I don't think I could name any of the, the, the team members of that group. What about Mustache Man? I know who you mean. Yeah, they're all good characters, but I think like... his name is Walters, but I know what you mean. He, they, they don't... Uh, 
they're very memorable characters, but you don't really get a sense of their names. There's one guy, uh, I'm not 100% sure about this. I could just be making some bullshit trivia right now. Okay. But uh, the the guy who's running their weird like scanning machine that scans the, the caves, I swear that's Pex. <laughs> well, I did, I did trivia for this. That did not come up. Okay. And I don't think he looked anything like Pex. He looks a lot like Pex. I'm willing to go against you on this. I, I don't think that's Pex. You know, when I was watching it, I was like, okay, it's probably been too many years between this and Paradise Towers. Did he, he, did he talk a lot about, like, putting the radio scanner to rights? He did, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, that's what uh, initially led me to it. Okay, yeah. Also, there was that girl with him, and he just had to defend that girl. That's right, yeah. She was uh, the, the turquoise Kang. <laughs> And then the other sort of uh, locale that we go into is this sort of space liner. Yes. With uh, this captain who's just the fucking worst. Yes. Uh, I think she is the worst and she is a fantastic character. Absolutely. You know, like she learns that some of her crew have been killed. She doesn't give a shit. She wants that bonus. (laughs) Take them to the brig. I'd rather have them up here. Vance and Carson are dead, murdered by the stowaways. Oh, that's all we need. Their bodies are by Sallow 941. Well, get a stretcher party down there. You've done well, mister. You'll get extra bonus. She's pretty clearly like a uh, Margaret Thatcher insert. I really thought you were going to say Margaret Thatcher in space. Yeah, she's such a, like, Margaret Thatcher. I mean, they give her the fucking red hair and uh, the bitch. <laughs> The bitchness. The bitchness. Also, uh, the, the the strangest connection there is that Margaret Thatcher, in fact, killed the dinosaurs. Oh, yeah. That's true. That That is a fact. She uh, she chased them off the flat earth. <laughs> but my favorite thing about her is that they make you despise her, and they really pull the rug out from underneath you, because it turns out her fucking underling Ringway is even worse. He's the real bad guy. Yeah, he's a bit of a dick. He's a bit of a dick. He sold them out to the Cybermen. Yeah, <laughs> he's slight, a bit of a yeah, dick. Slight understatement. <laughs> and then the Cybermen just fucking destroy him. Yes, yeah. <laughs> His treachery is not rewarded. Honestly, shouldn't the Cybermen just be converting him? I guess this is just sort of an odd period with the Cybermen where they were sort of trying new things. There's not a single conversion in this story, is there? There's not, I don't think. They do have a, a little bit of a sort of team of the Cybermen throwback where... They had them all busting out of those pods, which I really liked. Yeah, that was kind of cool, them coming out of that, like, some plastic sheeting. What's with Cybermen and plastic sheeting? You gotta have the plastic sheeting. <laughs> Don't knock the plastic sheeting. So we haven't talked about him yet. The most, the, the, the reason why this episode is mourning. We alluded to him. We alluded to him. Adric fucking dies. Yeah, this ep- that's really what makes this episode really iconic. Is And memorable, too. They murder the shit out of a companion what, yeah. what do you think of adric's death i love how bravely brutal it is i agree with that 100 percent. i think that's that's very well put because it's heroic but it's actually pointless it's completely pointless and then the very end of the episode there's not even a scene to be like you know uh he died doing what he loved <laughs> I don't know. There's li- he kind of did. Uh, yeah. Doing math, yeah. Doing weird math. Weird bullshit sci-fi math. Uh, there's nothing. It's just he dies and then everyone goes, Adric? And then it just cuts to credits with no sound. That stunned me the first time I watched that. To see that in Doctor Who period, but especially in classic, boom, death of a companion who'd seen two doctors who'd been on the show for a while. 
legitimate death. Everyone's just in shock. No time to process what's happened. And then you cut to the special shot with the credits where it's just a, his little his little broken badge medallion. Yeah. yeah, his little David Star. I'm a Jew badge. Yeah, it's not a Star of David. I know, but it's it's just I, I hate that fucking badge. I I took a weird turn. So you're very anti-Semitic about <laughs> what's not even really a Jewish symbol. I would have really appreciated the symbolism. If it of was it. a swastika, what what are you doing? What's... <laughs> I'm just saying. I just wanted it to be a Reichsball. I wanted a nice little <laughs> Nazi eagle. It just, and everybody would be happy. It just annoys me that it's like you know it's a really cool piece of symbolism, but at the end of the day, it's just this fucking stupid star. Well, since I don't hate Jews, <laughs> I really love that moment. Yeah. I think when it cuts to that shot, it's it has this like beautiful sort of hollowness to it where you, you sort of feel where it's like, oh, this is where the morning happens, where the audience just goes, fuck. <laughs> that is pretty much like the reaction. Yeah. That, that's all you can feel at, at that moment. I, I love that the reason why it's on the ground broken is because it was used as gold to attack one of the Cybermen. So it's like... It, it is sort of symbolism for Adric's attempts to save the day in this. You know, mm. they tried to use gold. It didn't quite work. And now it's just left as this crumpled mess on the floor. Yeah. Because it's undeniable. He's he's honestly, he's a better character in this story than he is in probably any other story. It did bother me this time around that right off the bat, like first scene, he's just being a whiny little brat. But I think it actually works out because as much as he's being a brat, the fifth doctor's being a fucking asshole. Yeah. But they, they sass each other. Can I use your computer? Oh, help yourself. I'm not waiting around while you plot the course to your own destruction. Adric, at the beginning of the story, is actually very sort of self-aware and weird in this one, where he's like, he actually, he, he complains, but he complains about the fact that he's a joke. And it feels like the show sort of really trying to correct for the problems of his run in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I really like that storyline of him trying to, like, plot his way back home. And finally he does it and the doctor like looks at his calculations. He's like, do you really want to go home? And he's like, nah. Also, he just like hands the doctor a piece of paper and he's like, these are my calculations. The doctor looks at him for like a second. <laughs> he's like, yeah, this looks right. Like how hard would it have been for him to plot the, the coordinates? The doctor clearly didn't give a shit. No. A, he had a weird attitude. You know what it was, was he really didn't want to go back to East Space because like Romana had just walked in on him fucking Adric like right before they left. <laughs> so they like left on a weird note and he doesn't want to see her. He doesn't want to run into Make his eye ex. contact. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't even normal fucking. He just lubed up his ankles. Ugh. Yeah, it was really weird. And Adric was like, I'm not even into it. I just, you know, it's a power dynamic thing. The doctor's just like standing over him like, calculate this. His huge nuts swinging. <laughs> Yeah, that's the that's the one time he's not very effete. I guess, it, no, you know what? It would have been the fourth Doctor, so he would have just been balls deep. <laughs> oh, yeah, so the Nets maybe weren't that huge. <laughs> and with our discussion of Earthshock over, it's time for some trivia. This story contains a number of references to previous stories, including the Doctor telling Adric to read Black Orchid, a book he received at the end of the previous story. Although this is Adric's final appearance as a regular, seeing as he... Uh, you know, fucking died. <laughs> he would actually appear in the next serial, Time Flight, as an illusion seen briefly by Tegan and Nyssa. How'd they get Matthew Waterhouse to agree to that? Like, it's pretty, uh, you know. Money. Yeah. He's a child. He seemed like he didn't enjoy his experience, especially with Tom Baker. Uh, yeah, I think he had very good reason to not enjoy his experience with Tom Baker. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be treated to one more brief glimpse of Adric in the series 
during the Fifth Doctor's regeneration in Caves of Indrazani. I was thinking, isn't it weird that like two of five's biggest episodes are all caves? It's <laughs> like straight caves. People dying in caves. I mean, how much of Doctor Who is caves? There's probably a fair bit. That's a shit ton of caves. And if you if you were willing to say that a Korg is a cave, it's the whole show. Yeah, and if you think of like a hallway as being like a carved cave. It's basically a cave. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the show. This story introduced the Cyber Leader as well as the Cyber Lieutenant, characters that would return in The Five Doctors, Attack of the Cybermen, and Silver Nemesis. My favorite Cybermen characters. It's kind of weird. They became like a bizarre double act for 20 years. I love the little baby TARDIS console that they just sort of stand around for 90% of the story. It's very odd. It is odd. I love the cyber leader. He's like, I am cyber leader. You can tell because of my fucking black handles. <laughs> the cyber leader was played by David Banks, who would go on to play the doctor himself in the 1989 play, Doctor Who, The Ultimate Adventure. Huh. Somebody's got to have like a fan theory about how he's a converted, you know, aborted doctor. Some pathetic bastard. <laughs> Even more pathetic than us. <laughs> And if they're a listener, <laughs> she said, tweet your theory at us. <laughs> at right before fitness. before you kill yourself, please. <laughs> we, we do actually want to hear it. Or just put it in your suicide note. Oh, there you go. It'll find its way. And then we'll mourn you. Ah, oh, it's on theme. Is that, is that illegal what we just did? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've done worse. Most certainly. So you mentioned how great the, the Cyberman twist was in the beginning. Well, this was the first Cyberman story in seven years. Their last appearance having been 1972's Revenge of the Cybermen. This motivated John Nathan Turner to keep their role a secret and meant that he insisted their name be kept out of the title. Fucking finally somebody learns. Yeah, and it sounds like it was actually one of the few times where it was very successful. Not like other times where the BBC has just slapped the fucking Cybermen <laughs> everywhere to spoil their massive twist oh uh, yeah they wouldn't do that nowadays right no that would never happen in a discussion coming up shortly <laughs> and now we'll move on to our entry from new who this week it's a two-parter dark water and death in heaven you asked me what we're going to do i told you we're going to hell or wherever it is people go when they die if there is anywhere whatever it is we're going to go there and we're going to find danny And if it is in any way possible, we're going to bring him home. After her boyfriend, Danny Pink, dies, Clara demands that the Doctor help save him from death. On a warpath to find the truth about the afterlife, they discover the 3W Foundation, an organization that has found a way to communicate with the dead. But appearances can be deceptive, and the strange woman in charge of everything may not be who she seems. So, Edward, what do you think of Dark Water and Death in Heaven? Well, you know, we just alluded to it like a couple of snarky little bitches. <laughs> so, uh, let's let's get to the fact that this episode has some fantastic twists in it that the BBC felt were perfect to spoil before the series even aired. What the fuck is wrong with them? Like, it's not even that interesting of a concept anymore. The Cybermen will appear. Yeah. How many viewers could that really boost? We went to the the which I brought before, but it was the you know special theatrical screening of Deep yes. Breath. 
And I believe it was one of the the fun trivia questions of what enemy was going to appear in the series finale. Yeah, what's wrong with these people? I remember seeing that and just being like, I'm going to blow my brains out in this fucking theater. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, that was probably around the time where that was a a bad joke to make. But uh, yeah, they did that. And they also had a photo showing that like they were doing a throwback to the invasion of having uh, the Cybermen. Sort of just be in like the center of London. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, there's one shot that's like almost a direct recreation of on those steps and uh, yeah that really pissed me off oh did it and then i i you know at least you know not to wander too far afield from this episode but i i cut off all communications with the bbc i wrote them a letter i said i'm done with you <laughs> but i stopped watching promotional material for the show basically and uh in in series 10 they fucking did the same thing. They did the same fucking thing. Yeah, luckily you managed to miss that. Uh, yeah. I did not. Well, in this episode, at least, it, the Cybermen are not actually the big reveal. No, although you know, that is one of the few things that I, I think. You know, the big reveal, obviously. Missy is the master. Couldn't very well keep calling myself the master. Not could I? And uh, the one issue I have with that is we, we were watching this together. Everybody was watching this. And I think everybody from the beginning of the very first episode was going, she's the master, right? More than that, I think everybody could guess Missy is short for the mistress because it's the master. Yeah. As fucking amazing as Michelle Gomez is, and she has some really great moments in, in honestly, both of these episodes. I honestly think the cooler reveal would have been the dark water draining and the yeah. Cybermen being there. I think that would have been like, oh, fuck. Well, but the thing is, like, this, the episode also betrays that, that They do. Idea. They had that cheeky little moment right beforehand. Yeah, where the doors close and it looks like a Cyberman head. Which is funny, to be fair. It, it is funny, yeah. But you're right. That is a great twist. Because even uh, me, a person going in who knew the Cybermen were involved, I didn't put it together. Even though they fucking throw everything they at do, you. They They're like, crazy. there's an exoskeleton that you can't see. <laughs> I can't help but feel like dark water in particular had some of the vitality drained from it in terms of like twisty punchiness. Yeah. To be fair, though, still, there's a lot of great concepts in these episodes. Oh, yeah. And so much happens. Like like four episodes worth of stuff happens. And typically around Stephen Moffat, that would be a really horrible thing. <laughs> yeah, that would be a, a con. Yeah, and it's it's not like that. There's like a lot of really cool stuff happening in these episodes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I love the concept of uh, the afterlife in in this universe. You know, the Three W's Foundation is set up because they realize that people are still conscious in the afterlife. Don't cremate me. Don't cremate me. There is one simple, horrible possibility that has never occurred to anyone throughout human history. Don't say it. The dead remain conscious. That's fucking horrifying. That's a spoopy. Like, you you know, when we got Peter Capaldi, we kind of expected that the show was going to go a little bit darker, but... That's a uh, that's not children's show. Yeah, that's pretty grim. Yeah, uh, and there's that joke about the oh, don't need to buy the science. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first year med students are fucking him in the ass. I think that's in there, right? Uh, I think the meanest joke, and I think we both agree it's a fucking hilarious oh, joke. I love that joke. You have iPads in the afterlife. iPads. We have Steve Jobs. 
But wh- how late was it? That's it was only like thing. months later. I feel like he had been dead for a while, but it felt real spicy for some reason. I feel like it was only like that year or something. Maybe I'm wrong. See, I think you're wrong. I think he died earlier, but for some reason it felt real hot. Like I think it was because like... A, oh, so hot. I think his biography had just come out or something. Like something had kind of refreshed the fact that he was fucking dead in everybody's <laughs> memory. That is that is the hottest thing. Nothing gets me hotter than, oh, than just thinking of Steve's job. Nice fucking hot jobs corpse. Yeah. <laughs> oh, His so eye hot. corpse. Oh, so spicy. Speaking of nice fucking hot, spicy, sad things, uh, the opening to this, I think, is very tactfully done. We're talking about uh, Danny Pink's death. Yes. Yeah, uh, it... It's kind of a jarring a little bit when she, he just doesn't answer on the phone and then that, that woman answers. Yeah, I think that, that's, that's the moment in particular that I really like. Hello? Uh, yeah, who's this? I just picked up the phone. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I found it. Oh, um, okay. Uh, can you please just put me back on the phone to uh, Danny? I was talking to Danny. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. The only part about that I don't like is that there was this weird thing happening right around series eight. Eight was like the epicenter. I think it started really in seven B where it became like a catchphrase for Clara in particular. And then the show more broadly for characters just to tell each other to shut up. Yeah, I know what you mean. Well, remember she's a control freak and fuck that was so coarse to my ear. Once you notice it. And then like in this like scene that should be really sweet. And she's just like, shut up, shut up, shut up. She says it like a thousand times in the scene. And then the doctor started saying it. And it's just like, why is everybody on this show that's about broadening your mind and exploring the universe telling everybody to shut the fuck up all the time? Because <laughs> people are loud and annoying, Edward. I guess. I mean, look at you. Oh, yeah. Touche. Shut up. <laughs> well, I've been put in my place quite thoroughly. You know, I really like this scene uh, just a little bit after that. It's the volcano scene. Oh, I, I hate this scene. I, I know. Yeah, I'm amazed you like this scene. I, I think it's a brilliant scene that's uh, betrayed by a bullshit resolution. I think this scene is a betrayal of uh, pretty much everything in Doctor Who. I'm, Why? How, how do you like this scene? Oh, I, I think it's great. The idea that she's already sort of formulated this plan to try and get the doctor onto her side and she's so emotionally broken that she just does it in like this battle against him. So you have said previously that you don't understand why the doctor would choose Donna as a companion because her just general demeanor is too selfish. Well, that is the thing is it, the ending of this scene definitely makes it feel like they're going to break up. He even has that, that great line where he basically talks about how she betrayed him. You're going to help me? Well, why wouldn't I help you? Guess what I just did, I just... You betrayed me. You betrayed my trust, you betrayed our friendship, you betrayed everything that I've ever stood for. You let me down! Then why are you helping me? Why? Do you think I care for you so little that betraying me would make a difference? And the difference is that Clara's already built this relationship with her, with him. That is a load of horseshit. What she does there is so loathsome, so despicable, so selfish. Any ethical or moral litmus test, she has utterly and completely failed. She she date rapes the doctor. <laughs> 
And then she does something that would not only condemn both of them to death, any future people that he might have saved, any civilizations, they're all fucked now. But Danny Pink. Because Danny Pink. I I don't care about that. I I think it's a a really great scene. No, it's it's garbage, and it's it's part of the absolute nadir, the worst of Clara. That is a trash scene, and it's a blemish on uh, one of the worst components of these two episodes. Well, I gotta disagree with you there. I think it's well, you've got to be raw drama. I think that that's that is it is raw drama in that that it's thoughtless. It's It's thoughtlessly constructed into how that it actually affects the character. It's the moments where where Clara was first starting to actually become a character. It ends with "Go to hell." Very clever writing. Very very clever writing to have him say "Go to hell." But that's not what he's actually saying. He's not, you know, telling her to go to hell. Exactly. That's the joke. That's stupid. Oh, no, I like that joke. No, it's so cheap because what she did was really fucked up. Yeah, but the doctor does fucked up shit all the time. He's never done anything remotely like that. And he he does that all the time. Every time he'll go to a, an alien species and be like, you know what? I'll give you a chance to save yourselves. Otherwise, you're fucking burning in that sun. What, <laughs> what companion did he drug... <laughs> And then condemned to death. The drugging's a little, a little far. Well, to be fair, he drugged her. <laughs> no, she drugged herself because he switched the patch. Right, but he, he's he sort of pushes it against her. Is it, self-defense is a thing. <laughs> yeah, but uh, he drugged her. <laughs> this is a. I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, Fenric is a is a date rapist. <laughs> this is the same logic he uses. Here's another scene that uh, that I really like is uh, the the scene where Missy kills Osgood. Oh, I love that scene. That's really great. If you've got something to say, just say it. <clears throat> I'm going to kill you in a minute. I'm not even kidding. You're going to be as dead as a fish on a slab any second now, all floppy and making smells. That uh, that is an example of like Stephen Moffat really writing a, a new villain in a great way. Also, sort of bringing the master back to where he, she, it should be. <laughs> you know, after John Simba was like very crazy, but he was like, "All right, no, this is what the master is. She is a person who will just murder you." To me, that's not really very contrasting with John Simba. I think a lot of what's great about Michelle Gomez is very much in the same vein as John Sim's master. It's just a little bit less camp, big tablespoon of a Heath Ledger's Joker, and then brought to life with incredible idiosyncrasy by Michelle Gomez. I think she gives a powerhouse performance as Missy. Yeah, she's really great. And I think if you want to talk about a scene between Clara and the Doctor, that despite any flawed underpinnings in the story, to me is really excellent and shows actually a really great dynamic between the two characters. I'm a really big fan of the the very end of the episode. The hugging scene. Why don't you like hugging, Doctor? Never trust a hug. It's just a way to hide your face. What do you think about that? I love that scene. I, I absolutely I really love like it. That. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really true to both characters. I think that honestly, I feel this way about so many things with Clara. That would have been a really satisfying, challenging compelling ending to oh yeah is, is there a moment where clara maybe should have ended no way 
Uh, <laughs> I know she's like a collector of those. <laughs> yeah, I also uh, that scene where Capaldi like thinks that he's uh, you know he goes out to see if he's found Gallifrey. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, he, he beats the shit out of the TARDIS, yeah. right? And uh, in an earlier episode, we're told that the TARDIS is his wife. Yep. So is yeah. that just spousal abuse? That is domestic abuse, straight up. <laughs> I mean, and think about what's happening when they're fingering those holes. <laughs> He's not doing it. He's making Clara do it. He makes Clara do it. He forces Clara to do it and his wife doesn't get a say at all. (laughs) She's just like... She specifically has controls against that that he turns off. Turns off. Yeah, it's fucked up. This is getting weirder by the second. (laughs) So one other thing we got to talk about because I think we are the only two people in the world who who like it. Uh, The Cyber Brig. The Cyber Brig. Yeah. Uh, So the Brig comes back to life. As a Cyberman, saves his daughter from dying. I totally get why people hate this. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's it's like sort of literally shitting on the Briggs grave. It was so, <laughs> it was so funny. I, I just like the Briggs so much. I know. And like when they mention him in New Who, I get excited. And so the first time I watched it, I was just like, that's fucking awesome. And of course, the Brig would want to save his daughter and would want to be heroic and stuff. And so the first time I watched it, I honestly couldn't understand why people didn't like it. And then watching it this time, I was able to understand, I was like, okay, I can see why people don't like this. <laughs> yeah, because... I mean, They're playing with his corpse. <laughs> the playing with his corpse literally turned into an enemy of the Doctor, though. I mean, Cybermen, there's no rules anymore. Yeah. <laughs> how many different Cybermen were able to just overcome their programming because of how much they love... Yeah, that is a that is an issue. <laughs> but I just I I want a big finish to make a, a range that's just Cyberbrig stories. Oh my god! Like he's off break. he's off somewhere in the world saving saving the day. He needs a mustache though. Mm-hmm. A cyber mu- it has to be made of metal. Okay, I'm I'm in. I was thinking non metal, but I'll I'll go for it. I'm also picturing it sort of like twitching. Oh, it's got like, a twitch. That's his catchphrase. I mean, that one worked for for big. Wait, finish. that's his catchphrase. Yeah, my like, mustache is twitching. No, no, just like like when somebody says something new to him, they're like, "Hey, Cyberbrig, how you doing?" He's like, mm, and then his mustache twitches. <laughs> He's just like, warp, warp. <laughs> <laughs> and with our discussion concluded, we'll move on to some dark water, death, and heaven trivia. Although it had been mentioned before, this was the first story to actually depict a time lord sex chained regeneration. It's also the first time in New Who that someone has used the term Time Lady. Oh, is that true? The first time they said that in New Who? I guess that makes sense. When is there even another Time Lady? There's that mysterious woman in yeah, the end of time. who everybody thinks is the, the doctor's mom. She doesn't even get a fucking line or anything. No, she just gets meaningful eye contact. I wonder if you get an extra 50 bucks as an extra for, for having meaningful eye contact. For playing the doctor's mom? Yeah. She's probably featured extra. Mm. So it's just, it's just like that meant they put a salad dressing on her or something. <laughs> Ooh, ranch. An alternative version of the Missy reveal was shot to throw off the paparazzi who were on location that day, in which she said, You know who I am? I'm Missy, or if you'd prefer, Random Access Neural Integrator, Ronnie for short. I bet not a one believed it. Yeah. I, I remember they did the same thing for Day of the Doctor. They had a. Uh, uh, John Hurd going around calling himself Omega the whole time. You're kidding. No, that's true. Uh, as, as a big Omega fan, you know. A bit of a heartbreaker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the book that Clara pulls a hidden key out of is The Time Traveler's Wife. Oh, that book's supposed to be shitty. Is it? <laughs> yeah. 
They made a movie with uh, like Eric Bana or some shit, right? Yeah, and um, Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams. I was gonna say Rose McGowan, and I knew it was wrong, so I was like, "Don't just say a name you know is wrong." <laughs> yeah, because uh, Rachel McAdams is like dated like four time travelers at this point. Yeah, I hear the movie's shitty too. Sweet. This is all just hearsay. But <laughs> <laughs> this story was replayed in 3D in theaters right before the Series Nine premiere. Really? Yeah, I think this is one of those few Fathom Events things that we've missed. I probably wouldn't have gone if I knew about it. Yeah, it's just a replay of an old episode. Yeah. I like the ones where it's live, mm. where I'm not just watching some shit I've already watched. Yeah, fuck that. Fuck shit. After Clara tries to convince the Cybermen she is the Doctor, the second episode's title sequence has Jenna Coleman's name listed first, as well as her eyes instead of Peter Capaldi's. Yeah, what do you think about that whole thing? Uh, it literally is playing into the joke that people were saying uh, to Stephen Moffat about it called Clara Who. I always wonder how aware he was or wasn't about that, you know? And uh, it's one of those things, kind of like the beginning of uh, the literal episode, The Twin Dilemma, where I feel like uh, it took a poor temperature of uh, people's reactions. You know yeah, I mean? a little bit. Yeah. And uh, that scene doesn't really, I mean, like, it makes sense for Clara's sort of ending story, but I don't know, it's just lame. Yeah, and it's like, I kind of feel like I wouldn't like it that much, period. But I feel like if Rose did it, people would just be like, what, that's crazy. But I feel like Clara doing it, you're like, ah, oh, fuck off. Because <laughs> she just gets shoved down your throat so often. Yeah, literally, which is crazy. Mm. But no, because, yeah, it's just, it's just too much with her about her insistent sort of preeminence in the show always, always, always in the Doctor's timeline constantly. Definitely. This also makes this the only story where the actor playing the Doctor is not billed first. Always uh, sort of surprised me they were able to do that contractually. It's like there's no rules. God damn it. As Edward mentioned, when the Cybermen first emerge in London, it's very similar and is probably an allusion to the second Doctor story, The Invasion. In fact, Kate Stewart drops a damaged Cyberman head onto the ground, claiming it's from their previous attempt. The Invasion, which uh, I also watched not knowing it was a Cyberman story, and totally fucking surprised me when the Cyberman comes out from behind a sheet. They're always coming out from behind sheets. You called it. Well, with both of our episodes discussed, it's time for a dilemma. Now, you have got to make a choice. So, Edward, some very important characters have died, and you have to eulogize one of them. Which episode are you going to pick? Ooh, all right. Uh, for me, I will choose the superior Doctor Who story, Earthshock. All right. Uh, interesting. I'm going to go with Dark Water, Death in Heaven, Missy Reveal, Cyber <laughs> Shit, Cyber Brig. So, honestly, I think uh, two points right away for why Earthshock is the superior story. One, the description you just gave of uh, <laughs> <laughs> of my episodes of uh, Dark Water and Death in Heaven, you know, in compared to so many Stephen Moffat multi-parters, and even I mean, Russell D. Davies is bad about this too. Most New Who finales and multi-part stories have a lot of baggage and stuff, and this one I think gets away uh, with a lot. But I do think it encumbers itself with a lot of dumb shit at the same time in that way it sort of loses any really meaty through line you know i mean we look at these as two stories that are centered around 
really important deaths. And I think it's telling that I don't think we talked about Danny Pink dying. Yeah, you know, I, I knew this was coming. And the comparison between the two, I don't, you can't really call Danny a companion, you know? Does he? He never travels. I'm, yeah, he goes in the TARDIS, but I don't think the TARDIS he, goes anywhere no, while no. he's in there. Yeah. Orson Pink is no, a companion. Don't even, that's not bring up Orson. You're just going to make me even angry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, I do think that Adric is a, a, a lot more of an important death. Certainly much more memorable in, in the eyes of our audience. But it's also a, a little bit telling that the the most important thing that Adric ever did was die. Yeah, but that's an earth shock. <laughs> and honestly, Danny Pink, I'm not sure he did anything important ever. And I like Danny Pink. I just think he failed to materialize in any important way. And I think, unfortunately, while I really love the, the very climax of this story, Death in Heaven in the graveyard, is almost embarrassingly melodramatic. When he gives that like speech to his soldiers, that's yes. that's pretty bad. And I, mean, you know, you referenced it briefly, but this is a story. You know, Earthshock has some issues where okay, they're they're experimenting with some things with the Cybermen, and it's weird they don't convert people. But I think Death in Heaven almost breaks the Cybermen. Um. Well, no, I would I would disagree with you there. Well, here's here's two points to consider before you say that. Uh-huh. All right, one. You know, all the issues of closing time in terms of power of love, times a thousand. We've got so many Cybermen who just for no, even Danny Pink, there's a whole plot line about how he's got a switch. And once you turn the switch, it's game over. And they turn the switch and nothing happens. And then you've got, you know, the Brig who's able to not be a Cyberman for no reason. But then also, and this one kind of flies under the radar, they talk about cyber pollen that falls from the sky. And then converts everybody into Cybermen. I think that's actually a really uh, cool idea. They've gone airborne. Yeah, they're, they're overpowered at that well, point. Uh, so okay, here's we what... lose. We lose to the Cybermen now. <laughs> There's no way we ever beat Cybermen ever again. That does bring up an interesting question. There needs to be a line in there of like why it doesn't convert the living people. Yeah, it must just be that it takes a long time, right? So yeah. you need a body that's staying still. They've got to do something to like chill out the fucking Cybermen after this. They're like way, way too strong now. While I'll agree that New Who has irreparably damaged Cybermen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that, and that's fair. That's not all on Death and Heaven. Yeah, I it's don't think it's increments. I don't think it's Death and Heaven's fault. I do think it's Stephen Moffat's fault. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I don't think that's like a fault of this episode. But I would also say that Death in Heaven is a better Cybermen story than Earthshock. And here's why. Earthshock uh, treats Cybermen as alien invaders when really uh, Cybermen should be plague. You know, they should be a virus that is perpetuating itself because it doesn't know any better. It's it's robots that have programmed to, to make more robots because they don't know anything else. And all the new ways of doing that that happen in Death and Heaven are incredibly interesting. The only sort of like downside there is that it's not them, it's Missy, but that, I think that's totally fine. See, I wish I could agree with you here, but I honestly think in terms of a Cyberman story, a good Cyberman story, I think they, they both fail at being what I really want to see in a Cyberman story. Death in Heaven, it's a plague in name only. They're, they're literally an invading force. The episode starts with them just storming out and marching 
onto the planet. No, I, I disagree with you there because but that's it, wait, you can't disagree with me with what I just said. So literally, what how the episode starts? No, that's how one episode ends. Well, it's also how the other one starts. Sure, well, how? But it's not how the story starts. You know, they're not they're not even invading Earth. That's not the premise here. They're they're turning the the dead bodies of humans into an army to be used for further galactic gain. Well, and speaking of that, how do you really feel about the whole premise that everything that we see in Dark Water and Death in Heaven, that Missy's goal, her ambition what we really have been working towards for those two stories has all been to give the doctor an army. And this poses a huge dilemma. Yeah, that's a decent point. Uh, There's a lot of things about her arc with Peter Capaldi that I just don't buy. I feel really bad about that because I I feel totally the same way. And I want to believe it's not over because I feel like it doesn't make sense when you look at it as a whole. No, it's fucking over, bro. No, shut up. Shut up. We didn't see it for sure. We saw it only 99% for sure. I mean, I think it just comes from a disagreement that I have with Stephen Moffat. We talk about it all the time. (laughs) You guys text each other. About just what the master should be. Mm. Uh, But yeah, I really like Michelle Rodriguez in it. That's not her name. No, Michelle Gomez. (laughs) All the same. As long as it's vaguely Hispanic sounding. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I really like uh, Michelle Gomez in it. But I also don't really buy what the Cybermen are really up to in Earthshock. Like, is it all about vengeance against the human race? Yes, it's it's pretty clear what they're trying to do. Although the way they modulate it, I, like I said earlier, it is weird that they become more personal in terms of like, they're like, no, the doctor now must see that. Because they, 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 you know, they make characters. They make the cyber leader and the cyber lieutenant. And I would agree. I don't think that's right for the Cybermen. But I think when you compare that to Dark Water and Death in Heaven, those episodes are hugely, hugely, hugely building up to the singular idea that it's a massive revelation that Missy has prepared an army for the Doctor. And I think it's a preposterous idea. Yeah, that's, uh, like like I said, that's a little bit fair. It's so easy to overlook the flaws in this episode, I find, because it's just so packed with little great moments which honestly, yours episode, your episode is as well. Your episodes doesn't have nearly as many glaring flaws. I think the the most obvious one is fucking Nissa. She like I mean, <laughs> she's a, okay, Sarah's walking flaw. <laughs> Sarah Sutton is a bad actress most of the time. Uh, it's appalling listen, in the story. Hold on, you got to give Earthshot credit. She's like fucking barely in it. <laughs> There's she she lets a Cyberman into the TARDIS and they give her a close up of like <laughs> But like she gets like one in four episodes. <laughs> yeah. But it's like I mean I wish you could see me doing an impression of her face. It's it just fucking look scared, Sarah Sutton. Just look like anything. She can't. She's incapable. She really is. Although, you know, you're talking about a scene that's a really fucking cool scene. When the Cyberman gets into the TARDIS. And they're breaking into the TARDIS and they fucking, you know, the man, they kill the one and they're fighting it off. Like, I, I really like that when they're breaching the TARDIS. It's a scary moment when they're, they're fighting off a breach into the TARDIS. That's yeah, I don't think... as th- high stakes as classic gets. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess as far as stakes go, it, it's, it's, uh, does a, a, a bit better than my story, but like scariness, like you got to give that to my story. There's, there's absolutely horrifying concepts in, in death, death and heaven. If you're going for pure scariness, but I mean, that's a huge new who advantage. 
what what classic who thing has aged but it's it's not even about like the tone it's just about pure actual concept you know both of these stories were very sort of brave in what they well, were trying to do i gotta say if we're talking about pure concept i think the Earthshock concept where the you know, the ship that the cybermen have uh, hijacked like terrorists basically getting diverted through time and you find out at the end you know, it's still going to hit the earth. It's still going to crash. The doctor's not going to stop this. But in this fatalistic way, it's going to be the crash that killed the dinosaurs is one of the best concepts in all of classic Doctor Who. You know, that is interesting because I've always thought like if I was the showrunner, one of the first things I'd want to do is do an episode where the doctor loses. Yeah. And you really don't see that that often. And that's, not that's like pretty this, interesting. where he loses and it's a, it's and a it's big a, loss. It's a titanic <laughs> event and in... in I want to say human history, but it's not. It's Earth history. Yeah, it's a uh, it's monumental. Uh, I I really like that moment, and I think it's also it's executed really well. I think genuinely, even with a name like Earthshock, you don't actually see it coming. I don't like that, and I totally get it. And if if I was defending your episode, I'd be like, oh no, it's old timey writing. <laughs> but like, I don't like that in part one. They're like, hey, what happened to the dinosaurs? Tell me what happened to the dinosaurs. And then it's like, oh, that's this is what happened. And they to the threw dinosaurs. up the fossils and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were really overt with their embeds sometimes in classic, and uh, you know, I don't think they're particularly crafty in this one. I think there are a lot worse examples in classic than this. But they, they do show their hand a bit in that way. I think, honestly, I do think the first time I watched it, I didn't see it coming, though. Uh, I, I will take a quick, brief break from defending my episode because there's something I want to talk about and we didn't get around to it <laughs> in the discussion. Something I think is so stupid <laughs> is that little piece of paper that Cyber Danny Pink carries around with him that Dude, just says, known as Danny Pink. As so, like, honestly, I think Cyber Danny Pink is the albatross around the neck of those two stories because you look at... Dark Water has, like, tons of great concepts. I, Dr. Chang. Fucking, I love Dr. Chang. Doc, I love just the line, Dr. Who? Yeah. Dr. Chang! Oh, her delivery is so great on that. Yeah. But, you know, that the angst between when they have the weird Skype call and they hang up on each other and then he just clunks around in the second story and his whole conclusion, like, he really, you know, like I said, it's, it's like four episodes together and the whole... Danny Pink episode is not only clearly the worst part to me, but it's much too important in, to the story to uh, forgive its flaws. Yeah, you know, I think I like Danny Pink a lot more than most people do. Honestly, I'm, I'm in the same boat with you. I think it's a great performance. And you look at an individual story like The Caretaker, I'm a huge Danny Pink fan. Let me, let me tell you why I ended up deciding to go with uh, Death in Heaven over, over Earthshock. Is that, I'm curious to hear that because I think we both like both these stories yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much comparably. Well, what it ended Except up being... Except for the fucking lava scene. No, the lava scene's great. We're not, I, don't even think it's, I don't even think it's worth going back into the goddamn lava scene. We'll just, we're, on, we're on different yes. planets about the lava scene. We'll, we'll agree to disagree. Well, no, we're just not going <laughs> to talk about it. We're going to cold war about the lava scene. These episodes have something very similar uh, in that they both took a bold step mm. in Doctor Who and where the, the idea to do something like what they did to Adric, you know, you can only do that once. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's something that Doctor Who can only cash in that one time. You can't, you couldn't do that with a modern companion. It would just feel too Adric-y, right? And while admittedly Death in Heaven is not the first episode to do this, I believe it's the second after listen the capaldi era ushered in this like new way of telling a doctor who story that you really hadn't seen before which is like the doctor 
going out of his way to solve some unanswered question about the universe, right? He did it like, I don't know, like three or four times in his era, but that's sort of what sticks with me the most about Capaldi's era. And this idea of him being like, you know what, fuck it. Let's find out what's what the deal is with the afterlife. Honestly, that like really that exchange is one of the moments where I sort of least buy this episode where he's like, uh, oh, yeah, I've just never thought I, I suddenly I believe there's an afterlife. And I'm just going to go scope it out. It seems really uh, frivolous to me. Well, he has sort of a telling line later when they're like searching around inside the mausoleum. Mm. Uh, I don't remember exactly what the line is, but he says something like, uh, where basically it's obvious that he he doesn't actually believe they're in the afterlife right now. Yeah, and it it seemed in contradiction to the previous exchange, but much more like what I would expect the doctor to believe. So so it's hard for me to sort of co-sign to that idea as a, uh, a unique plus. I actually do love that opening to listen. Um, yeah, where I he's will like, go no further the deal with that? into the rest of listening, <laughs> as my love does not extend much longer. Although I like it when he steals that cup of coffee. Yeah, that's pretty great. In turn, I'll tell you why I had to choose uh, Earthshock because you know these are both really enjoyable stories. You know, as you said, Earthshock has a monumental step in Doctor Who, killing Adric. Everybody was really happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> not only is it this huge bold decision, but it manages to do it in an episode where everything else is done really well. And I don't think you get those two things to converge in any show, let alone Doctor Who, very often, where you actually have a serious step forward for the show, great concepts, and execution all the way down the line, married together to make a story that's really, really compelling. And so I think it it really stands out at the forefront to me is, one of my absolute favorite Fifth Doctor stories and one of my absolute favorite classic stories. And while I think uh, Death in Heaven, Dark Water have a bunch of charms and a lot of really enjoyable things, it's just never something I would put on the same tier, even though I do think it's really enjoyable. While I agree with you, like 90% of the way down the line, the sort of the glaring example of something that Earthshock didn't get right is uh is nissa and it it feels like it feels like john nathan turner like walked into the room Mm -hmm. and said to sarah sutton you're adric now you're gonna be the (laughs) the person nobody fucking likes though there there are nissa fans i don't get those people well i have to say though other than her existence she's really i'm a huge nissa hater Mm -hmm. i'm pretty much og nissa hater as soon as (laughs) i saw her i was like what's her problem (laughs) but she's she's pretty palatable in this she's barely in it yeah, uh, well, as I said, I, I agree with you most of the way. I, I think there are some glaring flaws in, in Death in Heaven and Dark Water. The things that really shine in it shine a little bit more than Earthshock, but it's like they're muddied in a, in a dark water. <laughs> uh, as, as are almost, no, literally any Stephen Moffat finale. You know, there's great moments and then there's moments that are just like, yeah, God, fucking it, get over yourself, bro. Just, has he had a clean finale? I don't think so. Particularly not because like even the what would be I think the best one uh, is probably uh, Big Bang and uh, I think that's aged poorly and whenever it I revisit it I, I like it a little bit less. Yeah, the the first part of it's pretty great, but it, like the second part gets. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. I'm willing to say uh, Earth Shock is the cleaner episode. Uh, it's it's definitely more memorable. Definitely uh, more important for the show. I honestly, I, you know, I, I think. 
to me personally, Dark Water and Death in Heaven is the best finale that New Who has done. Oh, really? That's an interesting claim. I like it a, a bit more than the Russell T. Davies finales, but... I definitely, I hate the lava scene, and I, I hate uh, the last uh, scene at the cemetery too much, I yeah. think, uh, to do that. But I will say I enjoy it quite a bit. There's a lot of excellent scenes, great concepts, tons of fun, and uh, fuck everybody, Cyber Break Forever. Cyber Break Forever. Let's, we're, you can't tell, but we're saluting. We're saluting. Ooh, and we're both erect. Well, that just comes with a, a nice clean finish to any dilemma. Is that a cyber mat in your pants or are you just here to convert me? <laughs> a bit of both. And so with our dilemma taken care of, we'll move on to our bonus this week. It's a webcast. P.S. Dear Dad, this is the difficult bit. If I've got this right, you're reading this letter a week after we left in the TARDIS. Uh, the thing is, we're not coming back. In this pseudo-deleted scene from The Angels Take Manhattan, written by Chris Chibnall, we spend a few final moments with Brian as he learns the fate of Amy and Rory. All right, so Fenric Lamar, what do you think of PMS? P.S., sorry. <laughs> well, PMS always bothers me. Oh, it, it makes my uterus go all ovaries. <laughs> Uh, P.S. is a, it's a very moving for what it is. We should probably talk about what it is. Why don't you, you set the table for our dear listeners. Uh, yeah, so this is, uh, it, it's, it's an animated sort of storyboard thing with, uh, with some script text that appears over it. And then there's also Arthur Darville coming in with a, a voiceover. Nice hot slice of Arthur Darville V.O. And it's, it's just basically what happens to Brian post Amy and Rory sort of being stuck in 1920s New York. That's it, right? Yeah, either 20s or 30s. Yeah. Yeah. I My, my first question for you is, uh, are we just going to end up talking about how shitty Angels Take Manhattan is? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. We could make a pact not to talk about Angels Take Manhattan, but let's first briefly say it's <laughs> it was quite poor. It's, uh, it's uh, a bad ending. Uh, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Why can't they just drive out of 1920s New York City? Well, so that actually does call to mind a nice, hot piece of dialogue from P.S. Okay. We're alive and well and stuck in New York 50 years before I was born. We can't come home again. I won't ever see you again. So, you know, as, as you heard there, uh, Brian is reading this letter from Rory and he's told that they can't ever come home again. Do you think Brian was as frustrated as the fans were by the <laughs> lack of any satisfying explanation as to why the fuck that is exactly? I mean, at least it makes a little bit more sense for him because they died, I, I think, before... I mean, they wouldn't have died before he was born, but right? But time travel. Right, yeah. I mean, the, yeah, the doctor could just hook up with them literally anywhere that isn't 1920s New York City. They could probably take the fucking subway to a point where the doctor could pick them up. It's fine. The doctor's never going to run into Brian again. In fact, he's specifically <laughs> avoiding Brian. He's on his like blacklist. He's like, oh, shit, that guy's mad at me. Not into like a new face. <laughs> and then just uh, don't call myself the doctor. Don't go to fucking Upper Ledworth until I get a new face. <laughs> yeah, uh, I do think so, in short. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Angels Take Manhattan, I, I think in the past I've called it more a collection of plot holes in an episode. Uh, 
it's it's crazy to think that it is actually it's the ending to I think what will be known definitively as the main period of Stephen Moffat's tenure on the show, which is the Eleventh Doctor and the Pawns, mm-hmm. and he caps it off with that fucking turd. <laughs> That illogical turd. With a giant fucking Statue of Liberty angel. What are you, what were you doing? He just can't help himself. He can't. That, I mean, that is the ultimate he can't help himself. I mean, like, when the doctor heals River Song and she slaps him, he's like, this doesn't make any sense. I like how the answer to my uh, original question turned out to be yes. Okay, so, <laughs> on that note, uh, moving on. To P.S. P.S. So, yeah, P.S., it's just, it's Brian getting a letter, basically, uh, that he owes back taxes, and he hangs himself, right? Uh, yeah, and he, he writes, Brian was here up on the, <laughs> yeah. the, the boards, up on the ceiling. Hot Shawshank Redemption <laughs> reference. <laughs> I don't think he owed any back taxes. I don't think that was the scenario. It's pretty, it was similar. For, uh, what was his name? Brooks. Brooks. I was gonna say, it's not books. Why am I thinking it was books? <laughs> he worked in the library. That's true. No, he, he gets he gets visited by a man who delivers this letter that's written by Rory. And uh, the man's name is what, Arnold? It's Hey Arnold, right? He's got a football-shaped head. <laughs> I thought it was something weirder. It's Anthony. Anthony. Yeah. Anthony. Hey, Anthony. <laughs> Turns out Anthony is Brian's grandson. And there's a little bit where Rory says... And I realize having a grandson who's older than you is so far beyond weird, but I'm sorry. What do you do with a grandson that's older than you? Do you just like play you golf? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I should have <laughs> expected that. Answer. I yeah. mean, the, the last drawing that you see is there. They're hugging and they're like pelvis to pelvis. Oh, definitely. And there's sort of like a, a couple like movement lines yeah, on so either you know side of them. It's like a shaking, a gentle shaking has started. The, there's sort of a, some action script that appears on screen that says they gyrate. A quiver of life. Realistically, why did he wait till he was so fucking old? Why couldn't he have gone at any point? Well, you had to wait until Amy and Rory have gone because the letter says by this time you were gone. But why? Why couldn't he have just hung out with them and not said who he was? Why not do a do a fucking river song? Uh, hey, Chris Chibnall. <laughs> <laughs> that brings up an interesting question. Uh, not really an interesting question. Interesting statement. I feel like this might be a, a, a good indicator of what Chibnall who might be like. I think you're right because I think he's like a, a sentimental writer. Yeah, like, definitely. You know, you'd watch Broadchurch and you'd kind of see a he has a little bit of a melodramatic tendency. I mean, you know, the music in this is very melodramatic. It really is, yeah. It's a little over the top. <laughs> well, they really want you to feel the fucking emotions of yeah. those static drawings. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, by the way, what do you think of the drawings? I mean, it's basically what we have here is a, a drawings. It's a storyboard. What do you actually think of the drawings that we have in this uh, this webcast, this hot webcast? They're they're decent. They are they are from the actual storyboards, right? Of when they were going to make this. That's what I got from it. Yeah, and so what I like, they're okay. But what I don't like about it is that once they knew they weren't going to shoot it, I kind of wish they'd gone and cleaned them up a little bit because they're not. They didn't really, you know, do any kind of sophisticated animation. They did a little bit of movement, and uh, it would have been nice to see like a little bit more refined illustrations if they were going to, you know put such little production into it you know the bbc was like they didn't give a shit about this I'm thing i'm sure it's a fucking miracle we got this much <laughs> yeah they were just like 
Uh, you got some storyboards in and I just fucking throw a, a zoom in on it and send it out. Just make it so you can like with your DVD remote flick through the pages. <laughs> oh yeah, that was a thing <laughs> back in the day. The horrors of terrible DVD extras. <laughs> so one thing that uh, sort of had the realization, because we discussed the episode on the show recently, but this story is weirdly similar to Blink. Yes. Uh, a rapey Daniel Craig shows up and uh, <laughs> delivers a weird letter from the past. For the reason, I I totally, yeah, rapey Daniel Craig but made a weird, <laughs> I made an odd connection in my head. And uh, I thought of Daniel Radcliffe. <laughs> and I was just like, okay. what is happening? And suddenly the plot just turns into the plot of Horns. I don't know if he rapes anybody in that. It's just funny that the title's called Horns. I, I don't think he rapes anybody in that. I read the book. I didn't watch the movie. Uh-huh. I hear it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> this is a lot of me just like secondhand being like, oh, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen it. I don't care. I hear it's bad. I hear Doctor Who's bad. I hear it's bad. I hear it's shit. But so because of the similarities to Blink, do you think Stephen Moffat secretly sabotaged it? And that's why it was not shot. <laughs> yes. Now that you bring it up, uh, it's a, a very intriguing conspiracy theory. But I think uh, I think that's that's solid. I think that's basically true. <laughs> and I'm willing to report it as such. I'm willing to stake your name and reputation on the fact <laughs> that that is true. Uh, well, uh, I'm just going to go on the record here. Please don't edit this segment out uh, <laughs> that I did not say that. Snip, snip, baby. <laughs> In all reality, this is a pretty touching thing, and I'm glad they did something because it's weird because I don't know how much I would have consciously thought of it, but particularly after you see it. It is a hole. It is a hole, and you kind of, you do realize, wow, Brian's story would have been so incomplete if you just, you know, because you get attached to him in the few stories he's in. Definitely. He, he was fucked over. He was hugely fucked over. Like the last thing he says to the doctor basically is don't do what you just, <laughs> what you're about to do. Yeah. Uh, and now he's just left dealing with these plants. Yeah. And now he's got some plants and an old man to fuck. All worked out. Everything's turning up Brian. He's got, <laughs> he's got his balls. Ready. He's got his balls. What's his uh, dick joke? Oh, his log. His log. Yeah, oh, good old Brian's log. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is the future. This, this is, is the future of Doctor Who. Oh, you're right, because those are all Chris Chibnall, aren't they? Yeah. Jesus. Balls and logs and fucking Anthony. <laughs> fucking Anthony walking up to your door being like, will you eat my old man asshole? <laughs> it's all from PS. We don't have the clip, I'm sorry, because it's, you know... It's hard to make out. The audio wasn't great in that part. No, because there's text on the screen. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, oh, my God. We should do a fan edit of this. We just take the whole thing that we add extra lines of dialogue <laughs> onto it. We just have Brian at the beginning watering the plants. And we just add like a little fart coming out of it. <laughs> I'm game. Let's do it. You're gay? Let's do it. I'm Anthony. Let's do it. <laughs> fart. <laughs> and with our riveting, high-level, thoughtful discussion concluded... It's time for some PS trivia. This minisode, despite me referencing it as a pseudo-deleted scene, was never actually intended to be part of any episode. It was conceived of during a conversation between Stephen Moffat and Chris Chibnall. Moffat said he knew exactly how he wanted Angel's Take Manhattan to end and felt terrible that there was no room to resolve Brian's story, to which Chibnall responded he would simply write a scene for the DVD. 
part of me is a little bit surprised that Stephen Moffat let another writer do anything ever. <laughs> well, I mean, ultimately, what did he let him do? Somebody did some drawings. <laughs> <laughs> and then he sabotaged it. And he sabotaged He brought him down. Sure, Chris. Why don't you go ahead and write that? Yeah, because you're going to be showrunner one day, right? <laughs> What's that? You want me to read this Broadkirk <laughs> script that you wrote? Yeah, I'll get to it. Why do I want to read a story about some fat... William Shatner. <laughs> and then it fucking blows up and he's like, oh shit, he's coming for me now. That's when he started putting mercury in his drinks. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's when Christian Will famously went insane and started killing all those prostitutes. That's why he, uh, he chose a female doctor. <laughs> <laughs> that would be really some, some, <laughs> some new, like, some new fan theory. The reason he chose a female doctor is because of mercury poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> Made it him all demented. makes sense. You got to get that up on fucking Gallifrey base immediately. We'll get some followers pretty quickly. There's R some... slash Gallifrey. Let's do it. I New think there's some going up tonight. I think there's some adamant fans who would accept any fan theory to explain why there's a female doctor. Let's Photoshop Christian while just looking really sickly. <laughs> I'm on, honestly, have you seen a picture of him? You don't even need to Photoshop anything. <laughs> so dis despite all the shit we just said, <laughs> there actually were plans to shoot PS as a minisode, but there ended up being a scheduling conflict, and Mark Williams, who plays Brian, was unavailable as he was filming the comedy series Blandings. As you can imagine... This posed something of an obstacle to filming. <laughs> As he's the, the only character other than his fuck puppet, Anthony. He plays both P and S. <laughs> A little known fact, Anthony was going to be played by Warwick Davis. Is that true? No, it's not but fucking true. <laughs> <laughs> Why would they have a celebrity midget <laughs> playing? Who's Anthony? also already been on the show. Yeah. Oh, wait, no, he hadn't yet. Because that was when Clara came around. Clara along. was around. Nightmare and Silver, yeah. Yeah. But that would be fucking hilarious. I like was smiling and making eye contact when I said that. This is my great, my midget grandson. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible that the script would never have been released in any form, but after Angels Take Manhattan aired, the BBC received a deluge of emails from fans asking about Brian. This encouraged them to release it as a semi-animated storyboard. Yeah, I bet it took them an afternoon's worth of effort. Yeah. It was like one guy. And he was like, can I put the fart in? <laughs> They're like, no. There was no oversight on this. <laughs> then where are the farts? <laughs> That's a good question. He was just creative. You just need to listen really carefully. Oh, okay. I thought it was just a, a lack of creativity. Chibnall wrote P.S. around the same time he wrote the series of minis Pond Life, which focused on Amy and Rory's domestic life leading up to series 7A. Yeah, and I vaguely remember those. Yeah, I remember the one that has an ood in the shower. I don't remember that one at all. Because Rory goes, ood in the loo. That's funny. And uh, really, he just took a huge shit. <laughs> I might sound like I'm being sarcastic right now, but I actually do really like that joke. Yeah, it was funny. I, I, those things were all right. They were uh, enjoyable. For a second, I thought you meant ood. I'm like, <laughs> those are things okay. are all right. The subhuman fucking creeps. <laughs> Surprisingly, given Chibnall's all right a scene for the DVD origin to date, this has never been released on home video having exclusively been made available online. I mean, who are you going to make to pay for this? But wouldn't you think you would include it with the, was it, uh, I guess, Series 7? So it would be alongside Angel State Manhattan? Oh, yeah, I guess the, the DVD set still did come out after. Yeah. They really fucked him over. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Moffat hates them. Spread yeah. that around. New gossip. It's, uh, and uh, don't forget about the mercury. Also, uh, Moffat, micropenis. I hear that. Yeah. From uh, from my good friends who have slept with Stephen Moffat. But it's really wide. Oh, it's uh, it's broad. It's crazy. He's got a broad dirk. It's like a really big pepperoni slice. One last piece of trivia. The voiceover performed by Arthur Darville is actually his final performance as Rory. So he's sort of giving his own little PS, his own little postscript. His own little PMS. Penis. Oh, penis. We, we went for similar we jokes. We went for shitty, stupid jokes that we've <laughs> made a thousand times on this awful goddamn podcast. Mercury poisoning. <laughs> Fart. And so we arrive at the end of this week's installment of The Twin Dilemma, a particularly somber installment. I'm so sad. You can't hear it, but I, I'm in tears. It's true. Because dark water, death in heaven, uh, they fucking died. They got earth shook, bitch. <laughs> uh, that would make for a great way to end any dilemma. <laughs> you just got earth shook, You just bitch. got earth shook. That could be a new catchphrase. If, uh, if it wasn't on a stand, you should have mic dropped. That would be a great thing to say as you like carjacked uh, Matthew Waterhouse. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to do that to him. Well, I'm going to do it because my name's Edward Grove. And I am Fenric Lamar. We'll see you next week. Uh, staring into your living room window, Matthew Waterhouse. We know where you live. Yep, prepare to get earth shook. Bye. Bye. Tune in next week when our theme is The Great Detective. Small finish. We love dumb shit.